everyone. I'm your host, Mallory Mercer, Director of Advocacy and Community Engagement for the Star Coalition. On this podcast series, we're going to shed light on some of the most stigmatized and misunderstood areas of the mental health industry. Our hope is that through this podcast, we can bring transparency and light to a system that is so heavily scrutinized. We aim to share vital information about a multitude of mental health topics while spreading the message that research equals hope. Today, we're sitting down with Sherilyn Bowler to speak about childhood trauma and how certain experiences can change the trajectory of a person's life. Sherilyn's mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer when Sherilyn was eight years old and passed away only two years later. The aftermath of her mother's traumatic battle with cancer would forever change her life. Through this episode, we are hoping to encourage families that have received a diagnosis, whether that be of cancer or serious mental illness, to exhaust all options and consider clinical research as a treatment option, and to seek help when your mental health is impacted by life events. Welcome to the podcast, Sherilyn. Thanks, Mallory. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Sherilyn, can you tell me about your mom? What was she like before she was diagnosed? So, my mom was an introvert, but very friendly. She never met anyone that she couldn't feel connected to, and she was always someone who would lend a hand. If you needed something, she was always right there. So she was always surrounded by friends because she was such a loving person. And can you tell me, when your mom was diagnosed, was your family offered or given much support as far as how to process her cancer diagnosis or any education from her providers about options for grief counseling? Not really. I think the focus... And, and I don't think this is unusual, but the new diagnosis was really on treating the disease. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of talk about all the different things that the doctors could do, how there was still hope, but not so much about education or considering that this might not end well, particularly at the beginning. And I think we always want that from our, our medical professionals and our, our physicians Certainly, if she had been diagnosed with stage four, perhaps that would have been different. But particularly in this case, that really wasn't the focus when when it was first discussed. And I think that was, from our family's perspective, it was okay because we were in it to fight it. And it really wasn't until later that would have been really helpful. Yeah, and I know you and I, you know, leading up to this episode, we talked a lot about how wonderful of a community that you had. So mm-hmm. can you talk about how your community showed up for your mom and your family when you guys kind of got to that point where you understood that there was nothing medically that may be able to be done to save her? You know, you're right. I am very, even today, very fortunate that the community that I grew up in has always showed up for my family. And the church and our our neighborhood and her friends just rallied around her. And it wasn't just flowers and visiting. I was nine years old. There was the, the need sometimes to make sure that the nine-year-old was entertained. <laughs> well, the adults needed to go and have serious conversations or my mom was having a really bad day and It wasn't good for her or for me to be there. And so not only did they they help with food and all the things that you might think of when someone's sick, but they also took that extra step 
think the other thing that strikes me now is that it was their way of dealing with it as well. It was their way to help. And it was great that they had that opportunity and, and their, our family was forever grateful. And, you know, just thinking of myself when I was nine, my heart just goes out to you. And that's such an integral time for someone's childhood and their life and the way that they're going to process things in the future. Can you talk a little bit about how her diagnosis affected you emotionally as a nine-year-old, how you process that? You know, for better or for worse, my family, my dad didn't really come out and say, hey, you might lose your mom. But as a nine-year-old, you know, you think the world revolves around you. <laughs> and things like the birthday party I was supposed to have because she died three weeks after I turned 10. That birthday party didn't happen. And, you know, there's a lot of logical reasons for that. But I think those types of things helped me understand how serious it was. I also can say that this was not a pretty way to go. She, she fought the battle for two years. So it was either keep her and I separate or me see all of the things that were happening to her. She had, when the cancer spread, she had tubes coming out of her because there was a lot of fluid in her lungs. And so, you know, I, I had to see that. And towards the end, you struggle to breathe because it metastasized to her lungs. And that was definitely the hardest part. Watching someone that is the center of your universe at nine suffer and not really contemplating that this was the end, perhaps, but really recognizing that this person that had been your strength wasn't in a position to do that for you anymore and starting to recognize that perhaps she wouldn't be forever. And my dad sort of towards the end did start talking about some of those things. And I'm grateful for that because I know over the years when I've spoken to folks, they've said to me, is it okay to talk to a child about what could happen? And I certainly am not an expert, but for me, I needed a little prep. You know, you, you need to be honest. Perhaps not in great detail, but that person is going to not be there anymore. And it's someone who's so central to your life. I think it's important to be able to share that. I think it's important to be able to give that child the opportunity to talk about it. And, you know, I, I'll be honest, I can still see that as clearly today as I did when I was nine years old because it was so dramatic to to see and emotionally difficult to watch someone you care about suffer. So I know you said there was a point where you didn't understand the severity of her diagnosis. Was your family hopeful that she would be able to get treatment for her cancer at any point? Was there ever any talk of hope? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's what carried us through, that we weren't going to stop fighting and that she was too young to die. Mm -hmm. And and that's not, again, unusual, right? And And my mom herself wanted us to feel that way because that's how she felt. She wanted us to support her in keeping up the fight. But, you know, cancer treatments 
and, and a lot of other treatments out there for some different diagnoses can be really hard on you. And she, at some point, had to stop being treated because it physically took more out of her than, than fighting the cancer alone. And so once that decision was made, I think that's when the family genuinely could say, all we have left is to pray. So what was your mom's opinion of trying any type of experimental medication? Well, like I said, she was in it and she was going to fight it. And so the idea when that was offered to her of being someone who could experience experimental treatment or use them to her benefit, she was all in, as was my family. And it wasn't something that was offered at the hospital that she was being treated at. And so the doctors fought hard in order for her to be able to participate. And for us, it was just another path. And, you know, with with cancer, obviously, we don't do clinical research on someone who doesn't already have cancer. They're very different than than other types of research. So for that type of research, it's very common to be in that state and be ready to try something new. But that says, you know, Mallory, how we find other options. And I think she was all in with that idea as well. This is awful. You know, it was kind of her position. And so there's no reason not to try. And there's also no reason not to give the doctors more information that might help someone else. Yeah. You know, the reason I ask that, I hear so many people say with mental health clinical research, you know, what if it doesn't work? What if I get a placebo? There's so many what ifs, especially when it's your loved one that you care about so much, you don't want to risk their well-being. So when those clinical trials didn't work for your mom, did you have any anger towards research that it didn't help her? For us, not at all. We recognize going in that it might not work. And My dad's a scientist. I eventually became a scientist. And so going through the process of testing something was something that we understood. And I think the other piece of this, particularly, as I mentioned, for cancer research, is that we've already tried other things and it hasn't worked. And so while it's human to be hopeful, it's also understandable if one more thing didn't work out. You know, now that I'm in the field, I see that all the time, right? And I understand how hard that decision is from a personal level. I also know that if we don't keep trying, then the treatments that aren't effective for everyone today, we won't find anything new. And so I think that's the other thing to remember and and what drives me honestly because the good news is that cancer research has made leaps and bounds from when I was a kid but none of that would have happened if people hadn't been willing to participate in clinical trials or if a family hadn't been willing to make this step even if it didn't help the person that they loved. And I'm sure this whole experience with your mom was so transformative for your life. So can you talk a little bit about how that grief affected your adulthood and the path that you chose for your career? Well, there's no question that it was the driving force. One of the things that really resonated with my family and I, particularly at the end, was how supportive the medical community was and how they were right beside us, suffering along with us as human beings. 
and as people who care about what they do. And that really resonated with me. I wanted to be someone who could help. And it didn't have to necessarily be at the bedside. I realized when I was in college that really my passion was to find the root of the problem, if I could. And so that's really where I was able to focus. And, you know, over the course of time, you'll find that most of the people who do research have a story. Not necessarily my story, but they have a story. There's something that gets us up in the morning and says, I am going to fight the battle and I might not have the drug in front of me that saves the world, but I'll learn something and the community will learn something. Now, again, I, I totally understand that that's a nice theoretical comment until someone asks you to participate and it's okay. It doesn't have to be for everyone. You know, I think that's the other thing that we all understand. But again, for me, a lot of my colleagues, for example, have chosen to do a flu vaccine study or something. It doesn't have to be that you forego this other treatment so that you can be in a clinical trial. It really is just participating in the process and finding a way to give back and for me, that was really important. It was part of the healing process, even, to be able to really contribute because I couldn't save her and I couldn't do anything from a human perspective other than refocus that energy. I could not also, the truth is, I could never do cancer research. It's just too close to home. But because of my own experiences with how I had to process that grief and what it meant to me over my teenage years. Mental health was a natural progression of how I, where I could focus and having an understanding, not necessarily in this, in the same way, but having an understanding of what it's like when you have an emotional trauma, an emotional event that causes you to need help. So as you grew into an adult, how did you support your own mental health? Because like you said, that's so important. And that's a whole nother facet of this trauma is you found a way to give back through your career. But how do you support yourself and your own mind? I think that I was fortunate in that I had the opportunity to recover when I was younger. I was given the opportunity by counselors and by my family to work through what I was going through and work through the grief. And it's interesting because when you have that support, statistics actually show that, that you're much more likely to recover without significant symptoms. And so I'm, I'm lucky that that was me, that I was able to have enough of a foundation, have the opportunity to receive that treatment and so today, really, for me, it's sort of twofold. I have the opportunity to, if there is a moment of grief, and actually lost my dad a couple of years ago, reach out to people that I feel like I can trust and really go down a similar path of let's talk this through. Let's be honest about how I feel with the people that I trust. 
know that there's a whole community out there if that's not enough for me. But also, when my father passed, I chose to actually refocus my career. I actually joined a small company called Bree Biosciences that focuses on depression and anxiety. And I think that, again, sort of speaks to this the same theme. I can't necessarily control what happens externally, but I can help other people and I can contribute. And that makes a difference for me, for sure. Yeah, I'm so sorry to hear about the loss of your dad. And I'm thankful to hear that you took that grief and turned it into a new way to give back to your community. So we always compare mental health to cancer and saying, you know, if people could just treat individuals who have a diagnosis of mental illness like they treat cancer patients, maybe there'd be more compassion for individuals living with mental illness. Maybe there'd be more options. But, you know, when you and I talked offline when you were younger, there weren't a lot of support options for you. And so I'm I'm really thankful for the way that, you know, now when you look up cancer support, there is a lot of different options for online support groups. I know you found a group in college that was really life-changing for you. And so, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that in a few years, it'll be the same case with, with mental health health support. I know we have a lot of groups that we work with, NAMI, DDSA, MHA, the National Federation of Families that offer mental health support. But can you talk about how you've seen those differences, those differences in perspectives with your own experience, mental health versus cancer? Sure. I think that cancer is something that we understand a little bit better. We unfortunately likely know someone who has experience cancer, and we probably know someone who has experienced mental health event as well. But to your point, it's not something you talk about. There's still so much social stigma around having a mental health diagnosis, and it's a shame because, as I'm saying in my own life, being able to talk about it with people that you trust is can be life-changing, can really make you feel like you're not alone and make you feel like there's plenty of others. I, I think that's probably what I would, would say is, is the most significant difference is that it's hard to acknowledge that you've been diagnosed with cancer, but there isn't going to be a ramification. Someone's not going to look at you differently and say, oh, you know, you have bone cancer, you must have done something wrong. Mental health disease, there is a very unfortunate situation where there's still people who think, oh, well, you know, you just need to pull yourself up by the straps or you're mentally weak. And, and that, of course, as we know, is just not the case at all. I think if it was more commonly known how many people truly suffer from depression, anxiety, addiction, that maybe this wouldn't be so hard to talk about and also so hard to find resources. I live in a very large city now where I grew up in a small town, and that small town still lacks resources. Still, you would find it difficult to find someone that is a licensed counselor, a psychiatrist, You know, living in a big city, it's not the same. But I think that's the other thing is, as we're saying, if you do want to find help, it's not as easy. Now, the flip side of that is that we have telemedicine now. We have digital apps that you can actually 
receive a type of therapy on those apps. And so I would encourage people that if they know someone who's hurting or they are seeking help, to look for those opportunities. And for me, and and we've talked about this before when it was just you and I, the life-changing experience for me as a child was that someone reached out to a counselor and said, Sherilyn needs some help. You can be that person. You can be the advocate for that, the person that you love, that you're worried about. And, you know, you don't have to follow the same path that I'm describing for myself. But I, I think that's another way to be able to, to deal with what we're talking about is that if there's advocacy groups out there, you can join them, but you can also be the advocate for your friend or your, your family member. Just say a word to a parent or a teacher or just ask the person how they're feeling because they may not realize that how they're feeling is written all over their face. And, you know, even talking this through with you and, and knowing the trauma that came with this situation and how hard it must be for you to relive that and kind of hash through that with me. I'm so appreciative and I just want to acknowledge that just talking about trauma of any form can be so heavy for people. But, you know, as you and I were planning this episode, we realized how many people might need this. And so while it's hard, I'm just so thankful and encouraged that you are sharing your story. And I hope others will listen to this podcast and, you know, know they're not alone. And there is so much healing in sharing your story, even though it is painful. And I hope that, you know, through this episode, we got to honor your mom and the life and the legacy that she lived. And I'm thankful for the trajectory of your life and how you ended up in clinical research and that you you and I got to know each other. So I just want to thank you for that. It's been really amazing learning your story. Like you said, we all have one, but I think this is especially impactful. Thanks, Mallory. It's interesting because I've I've shared with a few friends that we were going to have this chat and universally the response was, Everyone has experienced grief or loss in some capacity. This is, this is relevant to anyone and likely you don't even know who that could be in your life. And so I echo you that I hope that this is helpful. I hope it's encouraging to someone who might be going through it that there is another side. But I also would encourage anyone else who's just concerned about mental health diagnosis or or struggling emotionally or see someone in their life that help is out there and you can get through it. But it's also a journey. Like you said, I admit that over the weekend when I was preparing for that, I said to my husband that this was more emotional than I expected it to be after all this time. And yet it's important to talk about. It's important that people know it's okay to say this out loud. And to acknowledge that it made you who you are today, for better or for worse, it happens, and we came out on the other side. Absolutely. And, and you're not the first guest on the episode to say, you know, that coming up or, you know, when it, once the episode was recorded or the day of, you felt a little bit of apprehension. And that's something that I don't think I fully appreciated until I 
started really getting into these stories that are hard to talk about. It's one thing to talk about your work life and clinical trials that are cutting edge, but when it's about you personally, it can be very nerve wracking. And it gives me such an appreciation for the people that come on this episode and are willing to talk about their personal life because it's out there for everyone to hear. And while so many people probably listen so empathetically and it'll make them so appreciative of your story, I know it's hard. I've never spoken about my own life on the internet. So. <laughs> You know, I'm just so appreciative and I know you're not alone in feeling anxious this morning as we talk about this. And I'm sure once this episode airs, you're going to have that flood of emotions all over again. And I just hope that we can be supportive through that. And I know we're going to have great feedback from this. So I want to thank you for this episode. I want to thank anyone who's listening who has participated in a clinical trial. You are medical heroes. And if you have a family member that's participated in a clinical trial, we just thank you so much. As Sherilyn had mentioned, if you are a person dealing with some mental health struggles or you have a family member that's dealing with some mental health struggles, I really encourage you to visit some of the websites we'll have in our show notes. Those will have resources on support groups in your area, any information that you may need, locators for providers of services. Also, if you have any questions about clinical trials, I encourage you to visit clinicaltrials.gov or the NIH website, which will also be linked in our show notes. And if you have any questions, you can email me at mallory at the star with two R's. Thanks for listening.